Alright, hello everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey and I am your host. Uh, what do we got tonight? I mean, I'm recording this in the evening. You can be listening to it whenever, so forgive my chronological prose on occasion. Tonight, we've got... Well, we got stuff. There was yesterday. UFC was back in London for UFC on ESPN Plus 82. That was a card. Ups and downs. Ups and downs, fair to say. Um, we'll review that. Then this Saturday... Big weekend in combat sports this Saturday. There's a couple of boxing matches, neither of them bad. One of them is the best fight all weekend. Uh, I'm not going to go deep on it, I promise. Uh, I know this is an MMA show, but you get to indulge my occasional discussion of boxing here. Uh, We'll get to that. And then news, what do we got for news? Mostly fights. Um... Uh, I'll talk about the I'll talk about that bit of news with one of the with the review. That's it's uh, easier thing to do. But mostly some fight announcements, some fight changes, stuff like that. So I think that's most of the news thus far. Um, all right, yeah, that's it. So if you could please interact with the product a little bit, like, comment, subscribe, whatever's applicable to your podcast platform of choice. Chase choice. I can speak. Star rating, written review. Anything that helps feed the unknowable eldritch monstrosity that is the algorithm. So, thank you very, very much as always. I appreciate the heck out of you. Um, anything else? That, no, I think that's up for the intro. All right, let's get into this, shall we? So, UFC on ESPN Plus 82. Main event. Uh, first, hang on. Before I get into the fights in particular, I'm going to once again make the case that 15 fights on a UFC card is just too many. Not just UFC, like anything. Uh, It's just too many, man. Uh, I saw Eric... I was struggling with this before I saw the tweet, because I actually saw the tweet, like, after the event was over, because Twitter's not always chronological. But uh, I think I saw Aaron Bronstetter even put a tweet out that was like, Anybody else who just normally watches all this stuff struggling to stay focused on this card? I don't know if it was because it started... Uh, the prelim started at 10 in the morning for me, so that was noon Eastern. I don't know if it was because it started earlier. Um, I don't know if it was... That probably didn't help. Then you factor in just 15 fights, man. It's just... They ran out of time on the prelims. I, I mean, I'll talk about this, uh, the cut up, where the cutoff was, where it wound up being. It's set, like when I get into the fights in particular, but um, the fight between Davy Grant and um, Daniel Marcos was supposed to be the prelim main event, but we had like two finishes on the prelims. Everything else was a decision, and when you're dealing with that many fights... Okay, sorry, that, that's a slight exaggeration. So, first fight of the night... So, I'm going to read off the method and time, not the results here for the prelims, starting with the first fight. First round, 326, finish. Decision, 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 decision. 
Second round, 426. Second round, 457. I don't know... Which of these fights were they banking on ending quickly? Because I guarantee when they put it together, they weren't out there going, you know, that flyweight fight, because that was the first fight. Well, that'll that'll get out of there in a hurry. No. It, they didn't expect it. It did. But, I mean, were they banking on the heavyweights not going the distance? It's mediocre heavyweights. Like, that usually goes the distance, I think. Good heavyweights don't always at that uh, this level eh, yeah what else i mean you can't count on like kellen Vieira and panny kinzada that that was going the distance um like i don't know what the thought process was here i really don't <clears throat> um so yeah they wound up bumping marcos and grant to the main card just because when they were ready for that fight to walk out was when the main card was starting so just too many too many fights it's just too many it leads to a rushed broadcast it leads to nothing being memorable it's a it's just a bad look it's just a bad look um so anyway, the general complaint there uh, all right, so main event. Tom Aspinall, he done run over Marcin Tabora. First round TKO, 113. Punches mostly. There was an elbows. They were breaking a clinch. Follow-up right hand drops him, gets on top, pounds him out. The man picked up exactly where he left off. Like Everything prior to the, his knee blowing up against Curtis Blades. He picked up exactly where he left off. He came in the heaviest he's ever been. He was 250-something, I think, for this fight. Still looked good. He didn't look like he was, you know, bloated. But he still moved well. Light on his feet, good ring awareness. A lot of gliding, a lot of bouncing for a heavyweight. Dude is smooth. Uh, he said... Um, that. There's not a lot to dissect there. Tabora is a decent enough. Here's the problem with Tabora. Like he was on a pretty good streak. I talked about it a little bit last week. The problem is like his best win is what? Romanov, who kind of bottomed out. Sergey Spivak maybe, because Spivak's kind of Spivak's kind of turned a corner. And both Tabora and Aspinall beat Spivak. Aspinall just did it much easier. Um, who else might be? He's got that win. He's got that weird win over Arlovsky, but I mean, that was in 2017, and even then, beating Arlovsky wasn't well, the biggest deal in the world. Uh, he's a good gatekeeper and I didn't object to this fight because Aspinall was coming off the injury and we weren't quite sure where he was Tabor represented a pretty decent uh you know measuring stick right a, a litmus test I after the fight Aspinall said he wants to be at the Paris card which is headlined by the aforementioned Sergei Spivak and Cyril Gaon he wants to fight the winner of that and then fight John Jones for the belt. Well, 
Minor fly in the ointment there. I haven't talked a whole lot about this because it's not... It's a rumor and a kind of a thought process that had been... I understood it, but it didn't really have enough steam for me to warrant to warrant me talking about it here in any kind of uh, at at length capacity. Well, it started to gain steam, and thought is slash rumor has it, if John Jones defeats Stipe Miocic, they're going to fight at the Madison Square Garden card end of this year. If John beats Stipe, he might retire. Now. It's very difficult to get a handle on fighters in general, especially if you don't like if you're not in the weeds talking with them, their team, people like that, et cetera, et cetera. You don't you're just spec you're speculating. And that's why I don't do it a whole lot. I occasionally will talk about how outside factors look to me, but there's a million variables that I'm just not privy to. There's a few outlets that have started reporting that John plans to retire if he beats Stipe. I favor him to beat Miocic, for the record. And at John's age, he's been doing this for a long time, too. I, I get that John is not the most popular guy in the world, and I understand. I am not here to advocate for him in any kind of capacity like that. Except to the following, he's the best fighter I've ever seen. Certainly in MMA. Um, which doesn't mean he's perfect. means he's the best. But if he does retire, again, between age and years, hang on, just for the record, how long has he been in the UFC? Because it's been a while, and I want to I get this right. So he's 36. Heavyweight, not the oldest, but his professional debut was 2008. He debuted for the UFC in that same year, 08. And you've been in the UFC for what, 15 years at this point? That was, hang on, August? Yeah, so he'll be he'll have done his like 18th year by the time the by the time the fight with Stipe rolls around. Do you know how rare it is to be in the UFC for almost two decades? I mean, it's it's ridiculous, especially to do it at his level with his success, and he's had his outside the cage hiccups, and I get it and not saying you have to be a fan but I am saying good grief if he wants to be done he's become a two-weight world champion which is a severe rarity he'll have defended both of them assuming he beats Miocic which is very likely I'm not I'm not counting out Stipe Miocic in that fight at all but Likely is John winning. <laughs> if he wants that to be it, like he will have beaten, he will have then beaten the most accomplished UFC heavyweight champion ever. He's already 
by a significant margin, the best light heavyweight the sport has ever seen. And I mean ever. He's, if he decides that it's time to be done, I'm not going to blame him. If he does, let's posit the hypothetical where he walks away, he beats Stipe, he's in his home state, not his hometown, he's from, I think, Endicott, which is certainly not New York City, but you know, the UFC doesn't really go around the state of New York. It's NYC or bust, more or less. They went to Buffalo once, I think. But there's certain places that and you, you just don't shop around to different cities necessarily within the same state. Now, some states are different. But, you know, I think if they, like, when they go to, they go to Pennsylvania, I tend to think they're either Philly or Pittsburgh. And I forget which one they prefer, but they're not going other places. They go to New Jersey, and there's the one venue. They go to, I think it's it's Newark, I'm pretty sure. If they go to, if they're going back on the road as much as they used to, they're going to hit some of these different states. There's... Two different places they might go in Florida. They either do Jacksonville or Miami. Usually Jacksonville. It's a little bit, but they go to Atlanta where they, and they go to Georgia. Like they're going to Atlanta. They're not going anywhere else within the state. When they go to New York, it's pretty much NYC. And fair or not, that's just kind of the so the point being that's as close as John's going to get to like a hometown fight is being in the same state. If he wants to go out having beaten the best UFC, the most accomplished UFC heavyweight champion, having, you know, conquered two divisions, to the extent that you want to say he conquered heavyweight, he certainly was the man on top of it. If he's ready to be done, man, 15 years in fighting is a long time. That's a long time, especially MMA, where... The physical realities of training MMA are what degrade the body, more so than the fights. The fights can be brutal, but it's kind of the inverse of boxing. It's not that you don't get injured training in boxing, but it's rarer. It's rarer to hurt yourself, because the physical demands, while there's some intensity there, I'm not, I'm not trying to demean boxing here. It's just less, you're less likely to hurt yourself. In when you train for mixed martial arts, you put your body through the blender. It's brutal. It's I mean, well, brutality is like a. I don't mean to imply that like you're doing nothing but hard sparring, brutality, blood and guts. But you're training a lot. You're going. You're doing a lot of conditioning. You're doing a bunch of disparate sports which means you do spend time just wrestling which can play hell with your knees you spend time with jujitsu which messes with your hips and your back and your neck you do kickboxing which is a fair amount of you know thudding impact if you have a good school and you might do some pure boxing might that's not a given and what I mean 
look, what most, if you do a boxing class in most MMA gyms, it's not boxing. It's just punching. And that's not without value. It's just not boxing, which it's more a linguistic thing that I kind of get hung up on, but I'm not the only one. Anyway, neither here nor there. You're, you're doing a lot of this. You're doing a lot of it over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And it just, guys in MMA wear down a lot faster because of the intensity and demands of the training. If you look at most boxers, it's not that the training's not demanding and grueling. You want to be a professional boxer at a high level, that is a serious investment of your time and your physicality. But boxers take more damage in the ring than they do training. With mo- with a lot of MMA guys, it's reversed. And where do you suffer more injuries? Training than fighting. That's That same statistic might be true of boxers, but it's one of the weird things about, like, if you watch enough of this stuff, you can track boxers, especially if you look through, like, their whole careers. When you start to see them decline, you tend to track more what happens in the ring. Like, you had this fight, or this bad knockout, or this series of fights. If you look at MMA fighters, it's not that that doesn't happen. It does. You're more likely to watch someone and go, oh, knee injury, pre and post. Second knee injury, pre and post. The the head trauma and that stuff, it's not nothing. And I don't mean to say that boxers can't have their careers radically altered by knee injuries. They can. But the nature of their training is a little bit also less demanding on the joints. And frequently when you track an MMA fighter's career, you track out-of-cage injuries as much as you track in-cage physical trauma. When you start looking like how they've declined. That's, you know, it's not that that never comes up in boxing, but it's a lot rarer to have... It's why it sticks out so much when it does. Uh, I mean, someone like... You know, like Marvin Hagler... You can pretty his his career took a and his style took a serious turn after his he had a major pretty serious knee injury at one point and his career took a turn but most fighters don't most boxers it's a little bit of time and it's a couple of really rough nights at the office that that tend to really put the hurt on them so the long and the short of that being. John's just, he might be ready to be done. He's, I think he's avoided most catastrophic injuries. He's not taken a ton of damage over the course of his career. His defensive brilliance being one of the great things about him. He's had some, he's, dude, the, he's still had like, what, one major dogfight? I think the only, like, again, serious kind of, it's not that, v, like, Vitor Belfort caught him in an armbar. And that messed with him a little bit. But the only, like, dogfight, dig deep, blood and guts affair he ever had was that first fight with Gustafson. Uh, which is, to this day, one of the, like, three best light heavyweight title fights the UFC's ever put on. I think maybe the only one... I would have it number two. I might have it... I think it would only put it behind 
the glorious insanity of Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prohachka. Other than that, like that, that's your cream of the crop right there. So, you can take all that, and if he's just ready to be done, I get it. I absolutely get it. If it would leave the belt vacant, and on the plus side, there's a pretty easy fight to make for the vacant belt. Right, and I know we've got Gon and uh, Spivak coming up. I don't think it has anything to do with that fight. If, like, if this happened tomorrow, right? If if John were fighting at 292, or 291, sorry, excuse me, and beat Steep Miocic main event, says this has been incredible. Thank you all for everything, but I've been doing this for 15 years. I've been in the UFC since. I've been in the UFC for basically my entire career. I'm ready to retire. The next fight you make, you get Tom Aspinall and Sir, and um, Sergei Pavlovich. You put them in the cage and you let them fight, and you can do the winner of Gon and Spivak next. But Pavlovich and Aspinall, assuming that belt gets vacated by John's retirement, that's the fight you put together. And I don't think it's... so. The big thing you have to hope for is that John retiring doesn't curse this belt like it cursed Light Heavy with the 205-pound belt, so... Eh, we'll see. But Aspinall, he looked good for a while. There's still a handful of questions about him that I... We're just going to have to wait and see until somebody can push him to answer them. We don't know what he looks like later into a fight. How's his footwork hold up over a long period of time? How's his cardio? How's his punch resistance? Uh, what's he? How's he respond when he gets hurt? We don't know. He's been just a dominant force. I mean, his stat line is absurd. His punches landed per minute. His strikes landed per minute is very high. His striking defense is very high. His takedown accuracy and activity is pretty high. His takedown defense is good. He's just... We have not yet found the guy in the UFC who's really going to push him. That's one of the reasons that Curtis Blades fight was made, you know, last year. It was meant to be... Okay, here's your step up. Because Blades... He'll push you. Strong wrestler, pretty durable. We'll put damage on you if given the opportunity. It was a... They, under different circumstances, I'd say maybe even try to rebook that fight, but that's not where we are now. So, I am curious to see what happens to Aspinall when he's pushed, but right now, he still looks every bit the future title contender and would not surprise me one iota if he wears gold. He's looked that good this far. So... Good performance from him. Pretty good way to cap off the night of fights, all things considered. Um, Co-main event. This was hilarious. So, Yulia Stolyarenko defeats Molly McCann via armbar 155 for the first. You put Molly McCann in the co-main event as just blatant homerism, right? 
there's no reason this is not to insult Molly McCann. But if we're talking meritocratically, no reason for her to be in the main event other than try to get the hometown crowd. I mean, home country. She's from Liverpool, not London. But try to get them kind of fired up for a... And you give her a one in... Uh, Yulia Stolyarenko, one in four in the UFC. <laughs> Was this her flyweight debut, actually, Stolyarenko? I think she fought more bantamweight, didn't she? Yeah. Yeah, she did. Uh, <laughs> well, one in four in this one, I forget. She had one other fight in the UFC in 2018. Um, she lost a split decision in a, at a tough finale and then did not get signed, so she fought her way back. Oh, she had that absurdly bloody fight in Victor with uh, Lisa uh, Verzosa. If you haven't seen that one, man, look, that is crazy. The amount of blood those two shed. Absolute insanity. Anyway. But they do everything they can to set up Molly for success. And less than two minutes later, nope. Yeah, Stolyarenko hits a takedown. A not bad takedown. Gets the back kind of gets off to his side and decides to first she kind of looks to go to mount can't quite get there is losing the position goes for the arm bar there the general positioning should have made the defense here easier for molly they were again they were kind of by the fence and the positioning would not normally allow Stoliarenko to extend her body because the fence is there and then you've got Molly on the other side. And to Stoliarenko's credit, she adjusts her angle a little bit and starts applying lateral pressure towards the elbow to try and get Molly to move. And Molly obliges by basically doing a somersault into the completed armbar. Now, again, there's some stuff here that Stoliarenko's doing to help induce this. But you really should be able to defend the armbar from the position they started it in. And Molly just had nothing. So I I like a good I like a good hometown you know uh, I don't mind a loud kind of hometown and enthusiastic crowd. But also because I'm me. Hearing the hometown crowd get silenced is... I enjoy that. I don't know why. It's a little perverse. But, I mean, I remember when Rashad Evans knocked out Chuck Liddell. Atlanta, actually. Dude, you could have heard a pin drop. I mean, if you could hear it over Rashad Evans' mother screaming her head off. His mother or his wife? I can't remember... One of those two. It was either it's either his mother or his wife at the time. I believe they've they've since divorced. But you can hear this person screaming excitedly, and there's not much other reaction from the rest of the crowd, so it comes across very very like. I don't hate that. That kind of amuses me. So the London crowd getting silenced, and thankfully I'll, I'll give the Londoners credit here. There was another fight earlier where they booed. 
Um, the guy who won because he beat uh, the again the the British guy, and it was a decision, and I don't think they liked the decision, and they booed him when he's being interviewed, and again, it was more an extension of we don't think you won than screw you. Um, this t- for Stolyarenko, they at least didn't boo her as um. After she won, like they were not happy that the person they wanted to win, lo- you know, at that at the outcome, but they didn't take it out on the fighter. So you get you get credit for that. Um, yeah, I don't know what this was. Flyweight might be a better fit for Stolyarenko. Um, uh, I'll just need to see her against a a better fighter than Molly McCann. Uh, next up, Nathaniel Wood defeated Andre Feely via split. Uh, was this uni- sorry unanimous decision? 29-28 across the board. Pretty good fight here, actually. Is your fight of the night? No, it wasn't. It could have been. So first round comes out. Feely technically drops Wood with a left hand early. Um, Wood bounces right back up. It might have been more of a balance thing than really getting hurt. Um, Wood comes back, drops him later in the round, um, attacks him. Might have been in position to get a finish. Um, I can't say for certain. But Feely perseveres. Second round, Feely returns the favor. Hurts him bad with a left hook. Couple of follow-up knees. Wood survives. Third round. It's a little bit back and forth. Both guys a little bit tentative through the first, you know, two, three minutes. The separating factor comes a little bit later on in the round when Wood lands a couple of solid lefts. He doesn't drop Feely, but he he clearly has... It's enough to win the round. Gets the decision. Again, fun little fight. Um, Wood would said after the fact he'd like to fight someone in the top 15, someone between 10 and 15 at featherweight. I don't think that's unreasonable. Um, this was what? His second or this was his third win at featherweight, I believe. Yeah. So he's beaten Charles Rosa, Charles Jordan, and Andre Feely. Given his general record in the UFC, which is very good, I would absolutely be okay with him getting a shot at the lower end of the top 15 after this. Um, Feely... Apparently was threatening to stick around the UFC for another 10 years. Uh, I've never... To me, Andre Feely has always been the same guy. I have not... I have not done a deep study of his career, so I'm not trying to be dismissive. I've just never seen meaningful, consistent improvement from him. He's always had the same trick, kind of the same tricks, kind of the same weaknesses... For basically his entire tenure. So, uh, let's see. Middleweight Paul Craig defeated Andre Muniz. Uh, TKO. This was elbows, basically from mount. 440 of the second. I don't know what to think about this one. I might be ready to call Muniz a bust after this. Not that you know. Not that Paul Craig is some scrub. That's a pretty. That would be a wild. Exaggeration of Craig's um, position. He had a couple of points there when it looked like he he should have been better off than he was. 
and he struggled once they hit the second round. Um, we had a couple of fun grappling exchanges here. Uh, Muni's went for um, kind of a slight, uh, slightly modified 100% sweep. At least that's what I've heard it referred to as. Is probably a better word for it. He only had one arm, but it's, it's kind of like a bottom Nelson. Um, the problem is like when you rev when you go to sweep the other. So if you've never seen this one, it's if you've seen how do I, how would I describe this? If you watched any pro wrestling and you've ever seen someone do like a butterfly suplex, or uh, the setup for Triple H's pedigree, right? So it's kind of similar. You get the um, it's not sort of underhooks. You kind of like again you kind of butterfly the arms. Now there's a neck crank there if you get both of them. He only had one, so you try to use that more for leverage. The problem is when you sweep, if you sweep that way, their heads um kind of under your arm, almost like a guillotine, but instead of wrapping around the neck and grabbing, you wrap under the arm and over the back, and then you grab your arms, then you grab hands and use that for leverage doing that over your head which is what Muniz was doing here provides opportunities for counters and I mean it was kind of what he had to do it's a nice it's a nice sweep but if the other guy reads it he can use it to his advantage and Craig did so that was a nice little move um, Craig at middleweight you know what I might be a believer um, he's a tall guy for the division. The cut didn't seem to go too bad. Now, he didn't look, I mean, even when he weighed in, he didn't look too sucked out. He didn't look too, de um, drained. He's, he's still got all the weaknesses that he used to have. But when I say I'm a believer, I don't think that this move down, um, I don't think it's unsustainable might be the best way to phrase that. I don't think he can only do this once in a great while or that he loses too much in the transition. He might still not, you know, make it to the title level. But I think he, he's clearly not losing it. He has not lost so much in the cut that he's no longer a competitive fighter. Good for him. Again, Muniz, he might be a bust. He looked good for a while. He's got some good grappling. But... I mean, I hate to call the guy a bust after, you know, two losses in a row in the UFC. That seems... I mean, he's got good wins. You know, Antonio Ahorio, uh, um, Bartos Fabinski, he broke Jacare's arm. Eric Anders, Uriah Hall. That's... The man can fight. But if Brandon Allen... It might turn out that Brandon Allen laid down a decent blueprint. Now, Craig's win was very different, but... There's still a little bit of, he needs to get right in a hurry. Just put it like that. Because if he goes, if he loses his next one, um, that would be a real bad spot to be in. Uh, let's see. Next up, lightweight Faraz Ziam defeated Jai Herbert via unanimous decision to 29-28 to 30-27. Not a lot to go on here. Um, a lot of clinching. Both guys, theoretically strikers, but if you don't, how do I phrase this? Something about the contours of MMA, and I mean the, the sport in general, 
if you you might have a skill set in which you are that is your best skill set but if it's not enough better than the than your opponents you wind up going to something else this is why you see a lot of strikers who start wrestling like maybe oh you we're both good strikers yeah but we're not enough better than each other to really decide this is a worthwhile investment in our time so we spend more of it trying to find other advantages where maybe the risk is not as great and where we feel the skill disparity is greater i mean there was hate to phrase it this way but this was kind of like the bread and butter of a lot of, like this is the reality of a lot of um especially earlier generation fighters like chuck liddell got famous fighting a bunch of guys who he was a markedly better striker than. What happened the first few times he fought guys who could, uh, I mean, once he kind of got over the initial hump of, I'm a striker, but I don't know what I'm doing on the ground, and he got over that hump. Like, who gave him problems? Dude, he might have beaten Alistair Overeem when they fought in Pride. Overeem gave him fits. Because Overeem knew how to strike. Rampage stopped him. Because Rampage wasn't afraid to strike with him. And Rampage stopped him twice, largely on that principle. It's it's the same thing here. Like, and then these two guys are both nominally strikers, but they're really only comfortable striking for prolonged periods of time when they're much better than the other guy. And here again, we got a lot of clinching. I had a 29-28. Not sure I agree with 30-27, to be honest, but. Eh, that's, it kind of was what it was. Uh, featherweight Lerone Murphy defeated Josh Kulabau via unanimous decision. 230-26 is in a 30-27. I'm okay with a 10-8 third um, for Murphy. He hit Kulabau in that third round with a glancing body kick. And it almost looked like it missed if all you did was watch it on the... Watch it live. Replay? No, no. The toes and the ball of the foot just hit and skim across like from liver side up to the solar plexus and just oh that's so bad that hurts so badly if you've never been hit with one of those like the thudding powerful ones are bad the one and it's almost impossible to time these ones or to do it regularly because there's the distance is so you have to be just right the other guy has to be just right and but if you get it where it's just like the last couple of inches that hit with power and then zip across. Oh, it's so bad. Cool about dropped. Murphy jumped on him. Couldn't finish him, but um, good win for Murphy. Um, he wanted a ranked guy next. I'm okay with that. He's undefeated. His only blemish is that draw he had with um, uh, Zubaira Tuhugov. I think he's due a step up. I think he'd be due a step up in class. Good win for Murphy. And kicking off the main card, this was supposed to main event the prelims, as mentioned before. Um, we had Daniel Marcos defeating Davy Grant via split decision, 29-28. Um, in two for Marcos, one for Grant. The way this played out, there's a lot of people who were kind of salty that Grant lost. Um, I can understand that. Ultimately, here's my thought on this. Round one was Marcos, and I don't think there should be too much consternation about that. It was a fairly low-activity... low Not low-activity. 
I mean, a little of that, but mostly low efficacy round that I thought Marcos did the better work in. Round two, I gave to Marcos in real time, and I'm not sure that was right. Just a weird round. Round three, pretty comfortably goes to Grant. Not huge, but these two guys are just too similar in some respects. Um, they do a lot of what the other one's good at. They're looking for a lot of the same things. And because of that, it never you never really get firing. Um, I don't think either guy can come. I mean, Grant, again, Grant wasn't happy, and I understand it. Unfortunately, if you look at this round by round in real time, 29-28 either way is perfectly fine. It Sorry, it just is. Um, yeah. As for the prelims, um, Johnny Parsons defeated Danny Roberts. Punches, um, 457 of the second. This was your fight of the night. I, I might have gone Wooden Feely personally. No objection to it here. Um, Parsons looked more like a lightweight. That I mean, he's thick. He's short. The problem is he's short. I wonder if he couldn't cut down, but he's got big legs, and that can be hard to lose. Like when you lose weight, for those of you who've never done this or heard this, when you start losing weight, you lose it from the head down and from the feet up. It's why that you know spare tire right around your waist is the last thing to go, and it hangs on forever. Uh, because your calves will thin out first, as well as your face, neck, shoulders. Like that That's where the weight goes away first. And then that stuff right in the middle there, that hangs on. Sometimes for dear life, he said, looking occasionally at his own stomach, which is frustrating. <laughs> um, so the point there being, though, like weight through your thighs and... Like, that's harder to lose. It's just harder to lose than other areas. So I don't know if he's just going to be one of these guys who's shorter at light, at welterweight in general, but I mean, he said after the fight he wants to fight Paddy Pimblett. He'll go to lightweight, and he'd love to meet him there. So lightweight might be a possibility for him. If it is, he should consider it because he made this work, but the size difference he's going to have at welterweight would be a problem. Uh, I was relatively impressed with Parsons, actually. He's got the technical brawling thing that gives a lot of fighters problems. He likes to induce a brawl. Then you think he's sloppier than he is. And that means you're in a worse position. He does a pretty good job of defending... Um, you know, rolling with punches, you know, getting his elbows and shoulders up to block and absorb and roll with and deflect. Then countering. He did that to Roberts quite a bit. He's got good leg kicks. He's apparently got a pretty decent Muay Thai record or history. And he showed it off here. He showed off some pretty good tight and uh, doing it to a guy taller than him and Roberts, getting a good, he got a, you know, the full plum, the double collar tie. Had some good knees. Uh, his nickname's the Slugger Knot. I mentioned that last week, which, you know what? My hat's off to you, sir. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I was impressed. I didn't. I thought Roberts would take this one. Um, Parsons made him fight a dogfight, and he was a better dogfighter. Lightweight um, Joel Alvarez defeated Mark Jacquesi via guillotine. Guillotine. Darce choke. 426 of the second. 
decent enough fight here. Here, here's the problem with this fight. Um, the ending was no doubt affected by an unintentional clash of heads that happened. They were th throwing in the second, and their heads banged. Alvarez did the better work. Wait a minute. Okay, no, no. We haven't gotten to the... There were some headbutts last night, guys, and... Um, there's one of them that we'll talk about when we get to it. I had to remember which fight it was, but we'll talk about it. This was one of them. What was the one on the ground? Where did that one happen? Was that Muniz? I th it might have been Muniz who just headbutted Paul Craig on the ground. I mean, I don't think he was just trying to headbutt him. He was coming down with a punch. And I don't think he was the most responsible with his head position. Let me just put it like that. They took the position... The ref took the position away from him, which I think was fair. Um, yeah, it was Muniz. Because <laughs> Paul Craig, after the fact, was like, why'd you, why, I was on bottom, but why'd you make me stand up? I was okay down there after getting headbutted. Um, this one, unfortunately, the ref missed. So they banged heads. Jacasey backs up. Alvarez presses forward. Jacasey tries to take down... Part of the reason I think I was okay with them not changing this to a no contest. It sucks that the ref missed that. I want to be very, very clear about this. That really sucks. But there was like a whole other sequence and a half that took place after that foul that you can argue how much he contributed, I suppose. And I don't know. I feel bad for Jacasey. I'm going to put it like that. Like, that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate the way it played out. Uh, heavyweight, Mick Parkin defeated Jamal Poogs via unanimous decision. 30-27 across the board. This fight sucked. Um, Poogs with that Sean Strickland kind of hand guard, which I saw Dan Hardy talk about it the other day, and um, he's got a very crude name for it, very unflattering name for that guard. Because he doesn't want people to do it. And if you give it a derogatory name, people will kind of have an aversion to it. Um, yeah, I'm not a big fan of this fight. Parkin had some good calf kicks. Here's the problem. I'm going to say this for a lot of MMA striking. Not all of it. There are guys who know how to do this. A lot of guys don't. There's a lot of guys who have a good foundational weapon. Like a leg kick. Or a jab. And there's a few other th there's a few other like strikes in that same vein that you can kind of do the same thing with, and they know how to use the weapon, sometimes very effectively. The problem is they don't know how to build on it. Like, why do you throw the calf? Well, I'll stop him with calf strikes. Well, at a certain level, okay. At a certain level, that's a bad game plan. It's an okay strategy to open things up, but if your plan is I'm gonna land, I'm gonna stop him with leg kicks, that's gonna go away when you fight guys who are good. So if you've got somebody hurt to the calf, what does that open up for you? What's the plan? What does this lead to? You can have a good jab. What does it do for you other? Because it has to do something other than land. You're not gonna stop someone with a jab. I'm not saying it's never happened, but you don't count on that. 
even the times when you've when someone has been stopped with a essentially a jab like punch, usually it's after something else has really badly hurt them. The jab can be a very good weapon. It's a very important weapon. But you can't just jab for the sake of jabbing. The jab has to open up an angle. It has to close distance to let you land something else. It's a part of the game. The calf kicks are a part. But what if the guy switches stances? That happens. And what are you going to do? You're going to start chopping at the other one? You're going to try to? You might have lost a lot of time but doing that. How's your offense once they switch? How's your defense once they switch? You might actually put yourself in a worse position if you don't know what you're doing when they're southpaw and you're orthodox and suddenly they're finding more success. Like This is one of my gripes with this. He had good calf kicks, but when the other guy isn't going to fall down and clutch his leg in agony and the ref waves it off, like you've got to be able to do something with that offense or with the openings that it provides. Oh, my minor rant there. Uh, middleweight, Mahmoud Muradov defeated Brian Barbarina of unanimous decision 30-27 across the boards. Um, Barbarina at middleweight is... I'm a little surprised at this. He said the weight cut to 170 was getting to be too hard. Look, it might be. I don't know. I His frame... Let me put it like this. His frame is not suited for this division. He might still be able to make it work, but this is not the ideal weight class for him. Uh, he got he had some he had some struggles here. He got dropped bad in the second round, actually. Um, Muradov needed the win. He had some setbacks, and he got a needed win. This was the fight where we had a real bad clash of heads. Third round. Um, they've gone back and forth, and then both guys seem to drop and go for double legs at the same time. And just like two goats, just bang, heads together. Um, it was a bad one. Uh, you rarely see that one, but, oof. Oh, uh, yeah, both guys were down. The re- I mean, credit, everything Mark Goddard was the ref. Credit to him. He saw it immediately. Called time, said, hang out over there, take a second. Doc, he wanted the two. He didn't just call the one doctor. There's more than one doctor right there. He wanted both of them in so both guys could get checked on. They both could continue, so we saw out the last, I think it was like the last minute of the last round. They could have gone to a technical decision here if not. Uh, this wouldn't have been a no contest kind of thing with where we were in the fight. But that was a that was a bad clash of heads. Just, oof. That hurt. That really hurt. So, um, good, good enough return to form for Muradov. Women's bantamweight, Ketlin Vieira defeated Panny Kienzad via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the boards. Um, Vieira gets takedowns first two rounds, wins them pretty easily. Third round, gets a takedown, gets the back. Kienzad winds up turning into her guard and then spends the last, I don't know, like minute, two minutes on top trying to throw ground and pound enough to steal the round back. Nothing great here. Uh, lightweight Chris Duncan defeated Yanala Ashmuz via unanimous decision, 230-27, so 29-28. Uh, let me give credit to Ashmuz here. His le- he broke his left arm in the first round, blocking a head kick um, near the wrist. Uh, he's posted the x-ray on Twitter if you're so inclined, or Instagram or something. It's out there. 
And he couldn't use his left hand for anything after that. He couldn't throw it. He couldn't even. He told his corner he couldn't even make a fist with it. So he spent rounds two and three fighting with just his right hand and kicks, basically. And he hung in there. So I give him credit for his toughness. Um, Duncan's a little bit too much. Good kicks at distance. Pretty good range management. Um, not a terrible fight. At strawweight, Bruno Brazil defeated Shauna Bannon via unanimous decision to 29-28 to 30-27. Bannon, I don't know, is ready for the UFC level. She was like 5-0, and I think, coming into this. 6-0. and Um... I don't know. I don't know that she her career is done a whole lot of favors by being in the UFC this early. And kicking everything off, Jafel Filio defeated Daniel Bares via arm triangle. Uh, one, excuse me, three twenty-six of the first. Bares had a lot of success early. He dropped Filio with a body shot, made him stand back up, dropped him again with it, and here he made him stand up again and kind of lost the momentum. I understand not wanting to get drowned in the guy's jujitsu. The so the first time he made him stand, I kind of could see it. Like, okay, you hurt him, but he's still there enough that you know you don't want to. Uh, it might not be a good idea to go down there. The second time, I think he it would have behooved him to follow him down and at least make an attempt at finishing it down there. Because he. Look, Filio didn't milk it to the point where the ref was going to stop the fight, but ref, you know, get up. I'm making you stand up. And he, all right, I'm getting up. It was enough for him to recover, come forward. This, this, you know, for a three-minute fight, this was actually pretty good. Um, returns fire. Once he got him down, Filio was just way better on the ground. Got him down, pass guard, arm triangle attack. Um, yeah, it was a wrap, but... That was actually a pretty decent little fight, so... That was it. It was a night of fights. Just too many. It all kind of blurs together at a certain point, and... You know, it was a night of headbutts more than anything else, so there was that. Uh, if you want my full report, it's over in the MMAZona411mania.com. Stop by, give it a read. Much appreciated, as always. Alright, let's move on to UFC 291. Oh, 291. Coming to the world from my neck of the woods, Salt Lake City. Um, it's a good card. It just is. Uh, your main event, a rematch I've wanted for quite some time. Uh, this is... Uh, I'm going to say this for the sake of accuracy and the never again. For the vacant BMF title, which means nothing... Um, rematch between Dustin Poirier and Justin Gagey. These two, since their previous fight, which was great, by the way, have identical records. If memory serves, they're both four and two. Fought several of the same people, and they're both lost to... They both lost to Khabib, and they both lost to Charles Oliveira. And that's it. Um... I am I am pumped. I was pumped for their first fight. I might even be more pumped for this one. Uh, their first fight was so good. And Gagey in his current form, I think, presents different problems. So you've still got Poirier, 
power puncher, cardio for days. Pretty good top game when he wants it. Unfortunate habit of jumping the guillotine. Um, pretty durable, but... And that's going to catch up to you at some point. That dude's been in wars. I mean, not like Gagey hasn't, mind you, but... Then Gagey's current form, the shift from just offensive buzzsaw to slightly more thoughtful, more power generated, a little bit more tactical. It's, I mean, it's worked wonders for his career. It's given him some really big wins. It's He's taken less damage. Um... It, that's what got him to the title shots. Because um, he's had two since then. Yeah, it's it's going to be something. I I don't know which way I'm leaning here. I really don't. <laughs> I think logically it should be Poirier. Is who I should lean towards. He's still super durable. He's still got, you know, part of what made Justin work, or Justin Gaethje work so effectively in their previous fight, a little bit of the leg kicks, but he was able to find some holes in Poirier's defense just by virtue of offensive volume. Um, I mean, Poirier's defense stumped Max Holloway for long portions of their of their second fight. Uh, Holloway even complained about it. like he's blocking weird and Poirier's you know, the way he gets behind his shoulder and elbow and whatnot. If Gagey goes to the body, that might be a problem for Poirier. I don't expect him to. Gagey's not much of a body worker, but it's a thought. The leg kicks are going to be something. I mean, Poirier, uh, dude, G in their first fight, Gagey tore Poirier's um, was his quad or his hamstring. I think it was his quad. He tore it with leg kicks. He tore part of the muscle, um, which is brutal. Like the fact that Poirier, after like you could see him between rounds two and three, and then between three and four, like after the round ends, he just stops, bends over for a second, puts his gets some of the weight off of his legs, and just he must have been in serious pain. Uh, so that might still be a factor. The southpaw to orthodox thing. It's not like it's instant uber kryptonite for Gagey. It does necessitate a few changes, though. Dude, Gagey being a bit more uh, systematic with his approach, if he's got open side power, that might be a real problem for Poirier. Dude, if Gagey gets on his jab earlier than he usually does, too, nor... I've said this before about Gagey. He works backwards, almost. Most guys start with like something like the jab, Use it to open up cracks, wear somebody down, find your reads, and then start bombing. Gagey bombs on you first. And then as the fight goes on, like, all right, you're bomb I've bombed on you. Now I get surgical. Now I get accurate. Now I get precise. And look, it works for him. I'm just saying it's backwards from how mo the general structure of most people's again, sort of like overarching uh, stylistic choices. I don't know who Father Time is going to catch up with first here, and that's really kind of it for me. They're very evenly matched in most respects. Poirier's 34. Coming off that... I mean, he's got the win over Chandler. He beat McGregor twice. 
Had that war with Dan Hooker. That's a great fight, by the way, if you haven't seen it. Gagey, same age, man, 34. Beat Fiziev. Again, a little losses before that were um, Oliveira, and then he had the win over Chandler, and then the loss to Khabib. I'm very much just looking forward to this fight. For the sake of argument, and I think only for the sake of argument, I'm going to lean towards Gagey. And I may be very, very wrong here. This is this is somewhat counter to logic. And logically, it should be Poirier. And I'm not going to be shocked if either guy wins, but... Poirier hasn't had to deal with a good counter-striker in some time. Uh, look, he struggled with Oliveira because Oliveira pushed uh, a ludicrous pace, got into a clinch, need, the, need him to the body. It's one of those things. Like, I mean, if Gagey does incorporate some body work into his attack, oof, that would do. That might do wonders for his overall game, especially against a durable guy. But I, I don't know. I just kind of feel like the slightly more patient version of Gagey. It might be worse. Like, Poirier might be the one to get on offense first and might just be able to overwhelm him. That's very possible. I just kind of feel like if Poirier... If Gagey gets Poirier in a more, like, come-forward mode and he gets him a little predictable, I think he can counter him. And both these guys have power, but Gagey's got kind of crushing power. So, I look forward to this fight. Again, love the first one. Very much looking forward to this one. Co-main event, light heavyweight, not for the vacant title, but one imagines the winner would be in that position. Um, Jan Blahovich, former champion, welcomes former middleweight champion Alex Pereira to the top of the, to the division. I am not going to say that uh, Pereira cannot win this fight. I think his I think he'll be a little bit less chinny at light heavyweight if he's not cutting as much because he's an enormous man. And him fighting at like middleweight was a little bit nuts. But his defense is a little suspect in smaller gloves. If you want a better detailed breakdown of this, um, Gabriel Varga, a multiple-time kickboxing world champion, he's got a good YouTube channel. He's got a video where he compares the defensive stylings of uh, Pereira and Israel Adesanya. And... A lot of what Pereira does defensively is kind of built from all of his kickboxing time with bigger gloves, whereas Adesanya does a lot more mobile stuff. And with some, you can't cover up the same way in MMA that you do in boxing or kickboxing because you don't have the big gloves. But So I'm not sure how his defense will work against Blahovich. Blahovich is going to go for takedowns. He'd be foolish not to, and he's not a stupid man. I don't know if he'll get him. But he's going to try, and if he gets Pereira down, Blahovich on top is actually pretty good. He's got good passing, he's got great pressure, in addition to being a heavy man, he's able to... Look, he's a big guy, so I don't just mean heavy like raw weight, but he knows how to use it on top. Some guys on top, man, even if they don't look big, they can be heavy. Blahovich is a heavy guy in that respect. 
Um, if this goes to the ground, he'll have pretty serious advantages, I think. So I'm picking Blahovich here. I'm not sleeping on Pereira, I promise. I know the man has a very real chance at winning this fight. I just think partially this is not a great stylistic matchup for him. And secondly, like, dude, Jan is not someone to trifle with. <laughs> I know he kind of got run over by Glover Teixeira, but Pereira is not Glover Teixeira. That's a stylistic thing as much as anything else. So there's that. Um, welterweight. Steven Thompson against another Pereira. Not related, but Michelle Pereira. Um, look, man, I like Steven Thompson. You can't be Wonder Boy any though, man. You're 40. So you can't be Wonder Boy. Um, he had that, coming off that pretty decent win over Kevin Holland. That was a fun fight. But I think Thompson's a little past it. I mean, again, he's 40. It's welterweight. Pereira's weird, though. Dude, Pereira's only 29. Good grief. His face... Like, he just looks at least five years older than that, just facially. Um, Pereira is on a good run, man. He's, what, five in a row? Yeah. I'm like I'm pulling for Steven Thompson because I I kind of like the guy, but if we're talking what I'm gonna pick, I kind of have to pick Pereira here. The younger guy, the bigger guy, the more dangerous guy by pretty much any by most me metrics. Um, moving on to lightweight. Ah, uh, you know a while ago this might have been a fun fight. Now it's kind of sad. Tony Ferguson and Bobby Green. Man, I hate where we are with Tony Ferguson. That five-fight losing streak, some of those brutal fights. Again, that Gagey fight changed him. Followed that up by, you know, almost getting his arm broken by Charles Oliveira, not having much for him. Benil Daryush kind of tore him up on the ground. Michael Chandler, dude, Michael Chandler kicked his chin into orbit with that front kick. Dropped him like a puppet with the strings cut. And then he was doing okay against Nate Diaz until, you know, he wasn't. Then he got choked out. Um, I don't... I hate being in a position where I don't feel like I can pick Tony Ferguson. Because for so long, he was so good. But Bobby Green's not in the best spot either, you know. Winless in his last three. I mean... Look, he fought Islam Makashev on short notice. Lost. Fair enough. Drew Dober knocked him out. That was a decent little fight. That unfortunate clash of heads he had with Jared Gordon, man. He was... He was doing well in that fight before the foul, and... 2023, year of the headbutt. Legalized headbutts, darn it. I'm going to start beating that drum. Look, I really should just focus on legalized knees to the head of a downed opponent before we worry about headbutts, but still... Yeah, I think I'm going to pick Bobby Green, and it's not... Eh. It feels bad to do so. Because, not that I dislike Bobby Green, but... Oh, man, I don't like seeing Tony in this state. I hope I hope I'm wrong. Let me put it like that. I hope I'm wrong. I have some very fond memories of Tony Ferguson fights, and I really hope he's able to kind of get things back on track. 
And kicking off the main card, also at welterweight, Michael Chiesa and Kevin Holland. Um, I mean, I gotta pick Chiesa here, right? Well, Holland had a pretty good win. He knocked out Santiago Ponzinibbio his last time out. But he struggled with wrestlers, especially if they actually get him down. And Chiesa's a pretty dogged wrestler. I mean, he lost to Sean Brady, but... And Vicente Luque before that. But, dude, hang on. He's been out since 21? Good grief. A long time that he's been out. What, was, what happened with him? Oh, right. He was supposed to fight Jing Liang and then had some kind of back injury. Well, spine. Glad that's... I'm glad that didn't turn out to be more serious. That could be that could be nasty. Yeah, I got I'm picking Kiesa here. It's not a it's not a surefire thing, but this is a style that has given Kevin Holland plenty of problems. As for the prelims, heavyweights. Yeah. Uh Derek Lewis and Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Derek Lewis was last seen being choked out by Sergei Spivak. Dude, he is one and five in his last. Sorry, one and four in his last five. His only win is over Chris Dawkins. Gone beat the crap out of him. Dude, Curtis Blades was beating him before getting a little before trying that double leg. Tuivasa knocked him out. Pavlovich beat him. And again, man, it's not like Delima is some world beater. This might be his punishment for beating their new, like, yay, the guy from the Contender Series that we like in Waldo Cortez Acosta. Oh, you beat that guy. Fine, fight Derek Lewis. Dude, DeLima has heavy leg kicks, though, and Derek Lewis don't like those. Uh, I'm gonna go with Lewis, but I don't feel good about that. I don't feel good about that at all. Yeah, do we have odds on this? Actually curious about this. I don't normally bother with these, but um, yeah, Del- oh, Delima's favored. I can see why, but dude, plus money on Derek Lewis in this case might be a real tempting bet. Yeah, I'm going with Lewis. I might, yeah, man. I yeah, I don't feel good about it, but I don't know. Delima just. He's got some skill, but he's never hes never quite clicked. Maybe the best way to phrase that. Uh, welterweight, Trevin Giles and Gabriel Bonfim. Uh, Giles done recently. Wins over Lewis Kosi and Preston Parsons. He was at middleweight for a while. Yeah, he's recently dropped to welterweight. Two and one at welterweight. His middleweight career was okay, but oh, dude, I remember when Drickus Duplessis knocked him out. That was a crazy knockout. I mean, not crazy, crazy, but I feel like it's Bonfim, but I might be very wrong about that one. Like Giles is—he may not be a world beater, but he's not someone to trifle with. So I'll go with Bonfim, but. Eh. Uh, middleweight Roman Cla- uh, Kopilov and Claudio Hiberio. Um, Kopilov's actually done okay for himself his last couple of fights. He's 2-2, two and two, losses to Carl Robertson and then Albert Duraev, but he bounced back, knocked out Alessio DiCirico, uh stopped Punahele Soriano, 
need to look up Hibario real fast. I know he's been in the UFC. I think only twice? Yeah, he's one and one. Yeah, I'm going with Kopilov. Can't I remember who Hiberio is? Might be another Claudio Hiberio, or there's someone else with like, a similar enough hand that I was confusing him with. Um, I think also for this pre this portion of the prelims, we'll get Jake Matthews and Darius Flowers. Was he supposed to fight somebody else? Yeah, he was supposed to fight Miguel Baeza. Not a bad fight. Um, Baeza had to pull out. I have no problem picking Matthews here. Um, he had a rough outing against Semmelsberger, though. I mean, he looked so good against Andre Fialho, but immediately the wheels kind of came off again for him, so. I'll pick him here, but I think I would have picked him over Baeza. Not that I, like, I thought very highly of Baeza, but that's another guy that hit a certain level and the wheels got shaky. On the early prelims, we have flyweight action, CJ Vergara and Vinicius Salvador. Are done. Pretty good win over De Silva. Um, double check Salvador. He is fourteen and five. I know he's been in the UFC. Yeah, he lost to Victor Altamirano. Yeah, I don't mind going for Garda here. Uh, let's see, Matthew Semmelsberger and Urs um, Ursos Medic. This is not actually a terrible fight. Medic is, you know, 2-1 and one in the UFC. Lost to Turner, wins over Alan Cruz, and then Omar Morales. Uh, Semmelsberger, I believe, coming off the win over Matthews. Nope, sorry, he had that. He fought Jeremiah Wells and dropped a split decision. His wrestling's still kind of a weakness, but I'm not sure Medic is the guy to really punish him for it. Uh, yeah, let me go Semmelsberger. And then at women's flyweight, we have Miranda Maverick and Priscilla Cachueta. Maverick uh, has hit some really unfortunate bumps in the road. I thought she beat Aaron Blanchfield, but her performance against Jasmine Jazdavisius was really uninspired. I'm going to pick her over Cachueta because I never picked Priscilla Cachueta to win. Um... But she kind of needs to remind people that she's good. Otherwise, like, if you lose to Cachuea, that's a pretty big red flag. And that's the card. So Saturday, I will be covering it over in the MMAZona411mania.com. Please do stop by, say hello. I always appreciate it. Alrighty, let's move on, shall we? So the big thing that we need to talk about this week for the news is some fight announcements and changes. So let's start with a few of these. First up, um, unfortunately, we lost the fight between Corey Sandhagen and Umar Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov had a shoulder injury. He pulled out. Really sucks. I was really looking forward to that fight. Plus side, our replacement for that fight is Rob Font. That will now be a catchweight fight. Cause, but I'm not going to complain about Corey Sandhagen and Rob Font. It's not what I wanted. I really did like um, Sandhagen and Nurmagomedov. But... I'm not, I said, man, I'm not going to complain about Sandhagen and Font. That's, that's just a good fight. So that, um, about as good a replacement fight as they were going to be able to make. So there's that. 
Um, UFC 294 got fleshed out a little bit. We have um, our main event for the lightweight title, Islam Makashev and Charles Oliveira. Obviously a rematch between those two. Um, the turnaround for Justin Ga for either Poirier or Gagey, had they won, was just not going to work. Um, I, I'm fine with this. Just long and the short of it, I'm fine with this fight. Um, Volkanovski had to have some minor surgery on, I think, his left arm. Uh, so he wasn't going to be able to make that date. I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm completely cool with this. I don't expect this to go the way their first fight did, specifically. I think Oliveira will have a better showing. I still... Makashev is just a bad matchup for him. Makashev's southpaw, which seems to give Oliveira some problems. Makashev is great defensively, that which diffuses a lot of Oliveira's relentless offense. Right? He doesn't get hit a lot. And Oliveira's very willing to... Anytime they clinch up, Oliveira... He's just not quite as good in the clinch. He's used to... He is used to working in the clinch in a capacity that assumes his opponent is not going to take him down because they're afraid of his guard. And that works for a lot of guys. It does not work for Makashev. I, I just think it's a bad matchup. But I'm, I'm fine with the fight. We'll see how it goes. Oliveira is certainly capable of incredible things. He's a very, very, very good fighter. I just think that's a bad matchup for him, kind of no matter what. I'm curious to see what Makashev does for a rematch, because he beat Oliveira as cleanly as anybody has. Maybe ever. Like That almost looked easy. And nobody beats Charles Oliveira easy these days. He kind of made it look that way, so curious to see how that goes. Also for 294, we're getting Kamzat Shemaev back in action at middleweight. He will fight Paulo Costa. That's a weird fight. I'm not opposed to it. It's a weird fight for a couple of reasons. Um, one, they're both weird dudes. They're just weird guys. Uh, I don't know how else to say that. They've both got some decent power. Shemaev's power might be also a touch overstated at middleweight. He not, he, I mean, he one-punched Gerald Mershart, which is... It's a good highlight reel moment, and I'm not trying to say Gerald Mershard is terrible. He's not, but he's not the most, he's not the sturdiest fighter you'll ever find. Costa is a very sturdy fellow, as a general rule. I'm also... I'm trying to remember the last time Costa fought a dedicated wrestler. And I... I can't remember the last time he fought, like, maybe Marvin Vittori... Even that was more clinching than anything else. Like, when's the last time he fought an ex uh, a guy who was like, okay, you're going down. I'm going to blast you into the fence. I'm going to attack your legs. I'm going to get you down. I'm going like, to... When's the last time he fought a guy like that? And it's been a while. Again, you could maybe argue Vittori is kind of a grinder, but... You know, Yoel Romero didn't try to take him down. Those two just... Those just stood in front of each other and beat the crap out of each other. Adesanya didn't try to take him down. Uh, he's just... That's not really a strategy that he's had to fight in a long time, if ever. 
So that's actually an interesting question that's going to be asked of him. I might have to be rooting for Costa just because Shemaev getting... Guys, this is a personal thing. Like, guys who are as loud and as, like, bombastic as Shemaev, I never feel bad watching them get taken down a peg. So, I don't know, but that's a fine fight. Nice to... Dude, we've been waiting for a while to figure out what we're doing with Shemaev. To say nothing of Costa being kind of MIA for a bit as well, and just loving the secret juice, I guess. I respect that he made that a meme, for the record. I absolutely respect it. Um, and also, uh, the UFC for their, I think it was their return to Australia, so this would be, what, 292 or 293? Hang on. Um, yeah, 293, September. Um, Israel Adesanya talked about it, and apparently it's not going to be him and Drikus Duplessis. There's, timing just didn't work out, um, Drikus might have had, I think he mentioned, like, he had stuff that he had to heal up after the Whitaker fight. Fair enough, man. Look, if you have to try and beat Adesanya, I don't begrudge anybody going, all right, let me make sure I'm at my physical best. The weird part is, after, like, the next guy in line, apparently, is Sean Strickland. So we're gonna probably, dude, Sean Strickland needs to mail, like, a Christmas ham to Abu Smagomedov for making him look that good. <laughs> um, here's the wild... If you want something really wild, at, by the end of the year, we might have the following three people as UFC champions. Sean O'Malley, Sean Strickland, and Colby Covington. <laughs> Which is the... Like, I don't... I don't expect that to happen. But it might. It might. <laughs> oh, man. Um, look, if if DDP can't make the date, you have to move on to the next guy. The UFC cares about the machinery. They care about the machinery taking over and the trains leaving the station on time. Full stop. If you can't accommodate that, they'll just go to the next guy. And fair enough, that's their prerogative. Whatever. Strickland winds up being kind of the next guy. I don't like his chances at all. <laughs> Just for the record. <laughs> Not one bit. But if you want one of your if you want one of the oceanic fighters on that pay-per-view and you want a title on the line and Volkanovski's not available, you don't really have a challenger in another division, it's going to be Izzy. If it's going to be Izzy, and it's not going to be DDP. We got to go down the line. Who's next and available? Preferably with momentum. Preferably that he hasn't already beaten. And believe it or not, you wind up at Sean Strickland. <laughs> that's just where we are. So, that's being discussed. Won't be surprised if that gets made. It's a fight. I don't know. Um, any other fight announcements that I wanted? To... No, I think that's it. All right. Any other news here? Um, not off the top of my head. So let me check Twitter, see if anything crazy is broken. If not, we will do plugs and then we'll get out of here. No, doesn't look like it. So plugs. 
Let's see, last week. Need to do one, damn you, Hollywood, last week. Uh, last week was Mission Impossible, De uh, Dead Reckoning. Which, boy, did that take a drop. We'll talk about that specifically. Um, two movie reviews. I'm not on one of them, but I'm going to plug it anyway because a friend of mine suffered for this one. So Monday there will be a triple feature on the on uh, the podcast W2M Network of Bar the Barbie movie Sisu and the Machine that is Mark Radulich and Ronnie Adams and I feel bad for Ronnie having to watch the Barbie movie that poor man. Look, I I didn't watch it. I'm not going to watch it. I have a grandfathered exemption from that movie because if you'll all recall. I believe the first time they were talking about the Barbie movie coming out was like 2016, 2017. And I told Mark then, I'm not going to be a 32-year-old sad single guy watching the Barbie movie in a theater. Now that I'm 37, that hasn't changed. In fact, it's gotten worse. So, no, I was never going to see that. But I feel bad for, you know, look, Mark will find enjoyment in it because Mark's weird. I feel bad for Ronnie. <laughs> Um, Sisu's actually really good, though. Uh, I have no thoughts on the machine. But su uh, Tuesday, normal time, 9 p.m. Eastern on Damn You Hollywood, Mark Radulich, Alexis Haina, and I will be talking Oppenheimer. And we'll talk about the strike going on in Hollywood, because the actors have joined the writers and everything shut down. So we will talk about that. That'll be uh, That'll be something. I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet. I'll be seeing it tomorrow. So, oh man, I gotta. Sorry, I'm looking at my schedule, because not this coming Monday, but Monday the 31st. Too early in the morning. I'm doing the last favor I'm ever doing for Mark Radulich. This is the last thing I'm ever letting him guilt me into. I let him guilt me into talking about the idol. And I watched most of the first episode. I say most because I fast-forwarded through a lot of it. Leave me alone. And it's inept. It is insufferable. It made me want to drive, uh, like, go to wherever they were shooting this. Kill everyone involved and then myself. Like, I just... <laughs> He wanted to talk about it and said, please, someone, do this as my birthday present. And because Mark is my best friend, I said, sure. And I get to spend a giant chunk of this. It's not that long, thank God. And I mean that literally. I have expressed gratitude to my Father in Heaven that that show is not longer. I object to its existence, mind you, but it's going to be a short review. That's all I'm going to say. It's going to be a short review. Anyway, we're talking Oppenheimer this Tuesday on Damn You Hollywood. So tune in for that. Should be a pretty good discussion. I find Nolan to be one of the more interesting filmmakers working right now. So tune in for that. Thank you very much. My As for other stuff I do, my usual spate of coverage, uh, MMA and professional wrestling, that will be whatever MLW puts out on Thursday. They're coming in on going back to reels for Underground, and when they do that, I will not be covering it anymore. I cover them when they do Fusion. I can't when they go Underground for reasons related to timing and stuff. Someone else will if you 
care. Someone else will cover it. I think Jeremy does it when I can't. Uh, and then WWE SmackDown on Friday and the UFC event on Saturday. And then we will be back here next week and we will be reviewing UFC 291. We will bask in the afterglow of glorious violence together. It will be awesome. And we will preview uh, UFC on ESPN 50. That's the aforementioned fight between Corey Sandhagen and Rob Font. Catchweight fight. Uh, pretty good fight. So we'll give you a full preview. Oh, no. What? No. Hang on. I got to count now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, fourteen. 10, 11, 12, 14. 13 is pushing it. 13 is pushing it. 14, 15, you're asking for trouble, man. You're just asking for trouble. I don't know what else to tell you. Hold on. How good is this card, actually? I haven't looked at it. Because I like I liked the main event. It's a good main event. But what else do we have here? Uh, Bahamondes and Klein. Billy Quarantillo and Damon and uh, Damon Jackson ought to be fun. Jessica Andrade. Tatiana Suarez and Jessica Andrade is a relevant fight. It's a relevant fight. Woodson and Garcia. Sean Woodson's interesting because he's a freak of nature at featherweight. Don't know how he does it. Um, Kyler Phillips and Hani Barcelos is not bad. There's a lot of filler on this card, though. A lot. That might be a longer night than I thought. I'm, I'm going to spend that card going, the main event's coming, the main event's coming, the main event's coming. I've got a feeling. All right, full preview next week, though. Let's not get uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves on that one. All right, with that out of the way and done, thank you very, very much, as always, for listening. I appreciate you guys so much. Stay safe out there. See you next week, and continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>